Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Meeting virtually with governors from across the Western United States this morning, including California Governor Gavin Newsom, President Biden is assuring states that they'll have support from the federal government when it comes to wildfires and the drought. And the president announced plans to boost pay for federal firefighters. Last week, I learned that some of our federal firefighters are being paid less than $13 an hour. Come on, man, this is, that's unacceptable to me. And I immediately directed my team to take decisive action to fix it. So today we're announcing what I still think is not enough. This year we're going to provide a retention incentives that's going to ensure federal wildland fires, our firefighters are making at least $15 an hour and provide for additional 10% bonuses for those working on the front lines. But pay is just one of the reasons there's been a major staffing shortage, as firefighters have been seeking other jobs with better pay and more stable hours. Reva Duncan recently retired from the U.S. Forest Service and is now helping a firefighter advocacy group, the Grassroots Wildland Firefighters. She spoke earlier this year with the California Report. This isn't just happening right now. It's been happening for years. And I think our frustrations are, I believe the agencies kind of just hoping things would get better with no plan, no proactive actions in place. Along with increased pay, Grassroots Wildland Firefighters has been pushing for better mental health services and to turn seasonal firefighting jobs into full-time positions. And staying with wildfires, an investigation from CAP Radio and the California Newsroom Collaboration has found that Governor Newsom delayed an ambitious wildfire prevention plan set by his predecessor. The revelation also comes as Newsom delivered only a fraction of the money promised for wildfire resilience in the state budget. CAP Radio's Scott Rod has the details. Last month, Newsom descended on a press conference near Sacramento in a Cal Fire helicopter ready to deliver a bold promise. We are doubling our historic wildfire budget uh, from the $1 billion we proposed in January to now a $2 billion proposal that was submitted to the, um, to the legislature just last week. The announcement garnered lots of headlines, but there's a gulf between what was promised and what was actually delivered. 
Hundreds of millions of dollars were earmarked for emergency spending unrelated to fires. There was over $700 million in new spending for fire prevention, but only about $450 million made it into the final budget this week. And there's a simple reason. Cal Fire can't spend all that money in one year. Because not enough fire prevention projects, like forest thinning and prescribed burns, are shovel-ready. This was confirmed by multiple administration officials. Here's Wade Crowfoot, Secretary of the Natural Resources Agency. With this quantum leap of investment that the state is making, there's a question of just you know how much funding can be spent how quickly. The money for fire prevention is an increase from previous years, and some unspent funds have been set aside for next year's budget. Still, experts say California needs to ramp up its ability to do this work in order to hit its ambitious goal, treating 500,000 acres every year. Our investigation found Newsom has already delayed the deadline. Former Governor Jerry Brown issued an executive order to hit the target by 2023. Newsom pushed it back to 2025. Republican Assemblyman James Gallagher, a frequent Newsom critic, expressed frustration when he learned about the delay. It's another example of how the Newsom administration isn't isn't treating this issue with the urgency that I think is needed. Gallagher is among a bipartisan group of lawmakers who say they will push for increased and sustained funding to hit the state's lofty fire prevention goals. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rod in Sacramento. Meanwhile, in Siskiyou County in far northern California, more than 900 firefighters are fighting the lava fire, the state's largest wildfire so far this year. The blaze has scorched more than 17,500 acres near Mount Shasta. It's also forced the evacuation of thousands of local residents. The fire was sparked by lightning and then exploded in size because of high winds. A fire official apologized earlier this week, saying crews thought the fire was extinguished prior Friday, but it reignited in the heat and grew. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. California legislators have passed a new state budget, and it includes billions of dollars in new ongoing spending. Now there are questions about the budget's details and what will happen when state revenues take a dip. Here's KQED's Katie Orr. The nearly $263 billion state budget contains some new big-ticket costs, including $1.3 billion a year to expand Medi-Cal to eligible undocumented adults 50 and over, and $2.7 billion annually to offer universal transitional kindergarten. But for all the spending, Republican Assemblyman Vince Fong said the budget doesn't contain a lot of details. This bill contains 280 amendments and hundreds of new appropriations, but still lacks important specifics. Fong also called out what he said is insufficient funding for wildfire prevention and drought solutions. 
David Crane is a public policy lecturer at Stanford and president of Govern California, a nonprofit that funds state legislators' campaigns. He said it's not the new spending that concerns him, rather the lack of savings. Lawmakers are putting more than $25 billion into the state's reserves, an all-time high. But Crane says revenue projections show that number should be closer to $100 billion to prepare for the next recession. It's like what a household or a business does. When you get a lot of money and you know that the future is going to bring less money, you save. Crane points out Governors Gray Davis and Arnold Schwarzenegger both had to deal with significant budget cuts. And he says it's inevitable revenues will dip again. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento. Ever since voters passed a $10 billion bond measure to build a high-speed rail between Los Angeles and San Francisco, the project has been plagued with so many problems. And as KQED politics editor Scott Schaefer reports, voters' doubts about the project are growing. In the 13 years since voters approved Proposition 1A, the high-speed rail project has been mired in lawsuits, local opposition, mismanagement, and massive cost overruns. The record $263 billion state budget approved this week by the state legislature left out $4 billion requested by Governor Gavin Newsom to finish building the segment between Merced and Bakersfield, possibly signaling that Democratic lawmakers are losing patience with the project. State Senator Steve Glazer from the East Bay, who once supported high-speed rail, says it's time to face reality. We had a good vision. It's just not going to come to fruition. A recent poll conducted for Assembly Democrats shows voters evenly split between continuing and stopping the project, with Republicans and nonpartisan voters strongly supporting pulling the plug. Glazer worries that if voters lose faith that government can complete major projects like this, that they might be less willing to approve other bond measures. When you have a project that could be a colossal failure, it's going to erode all those other things that we would like to see the voters invest in, whether that's uh, highways and bridges and school buildings and universities. There's, There's so much more that we need voter confidence and support for. It's unclear whether the trillion-dollar infrastructure deal announced by President Biden last week will help fund high-speed rail, and without an infusion of state money requested by the governor, the project looks more in doubt than ever. For the California Report, I'm Scott Schaefer. Let's turn to criminal justice reform. For over a century, California has locked up juvenile offenders, some as young as 12, in juvenile prisons run by the state. The wards kept in these facilities were often subjected to abuse and neglect, and authorities knew about the problems for decades. But starting next month, California will begin closing its remaining juvenile detention centers and turn over that authority to individual counties. But is that a real solution to the system's long history of problems? The California Report talked about these issues with Dan McAlaire, executive director of the San Francisco-based Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. The purpose of the juvenile justice system was to substitute itself as the responsible parent. And so, you know, how do we achieve uh, responsible parenthood within the confines of a prison-like environment? And that's always been the problem with the California juvenile justice system is the fact that we, you know, we rely on these institutions, which was is a penitentiary model that goes back to the 18th century. And the current system is a product of the 19th century here in California. And if you go back on the history of these institutions, they were failing back when they opened. These were horribly abusive places. 
It's the same story. Actually, what's remarkable is how similar the stories were or the critiques were from the 1890s to the 2010s. It's remarkably consistent. And that consistency is what exactly? Psychological abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse? All of that. The physical abuse, the sexual abuse, the failure to provide a safe environment, the presence of gangs, kids being routinely subject to physical assault by other wards, sometimes the the lax or the lack of caring from the staff or the inability, really the inability of the staff to control the reality of what is a volatile situation. It's a correctional institution. When you put 35 kids or sometimes 80 kids in the same dormitory, what do you expect to happen? So here's what I don't get. If these problems have been known for so many years and have been so horrific, why did it take California so long to do what it's doing now, which is closing the remaining detention facilities? Yeah. Reform in the correction system is a very difficult thing to achieve. What happens is these institutions were established in what were then small towns. They became a primary provider of jobs in these small towns. And over the decades, the sons and you know, fathers and grandparents and you know, you had generations working in these institutions. So they became the mainstays of the local economies. And of course, that's part of it. But the other part of it is that when you establish these institutions, you automatically develop a constituency and you, you develop a constituency around the institution. And what also happens, and this is also, we can't, you, we can't get away from this, is it happens because there's complicity within the system. People look the other way. We create this system, judges, probation staff, you know, they're complicit in it because it's a dumping ground. So let's look ahead. California is going to close its remaining juvenile detention centers and hand over a lot more juvenile justice authority to individual counties. What do you hope that does? And do you have any fears it could actually make matters worse? Well, <laughs> that's a good, that, I mean, that really is the key question. Well, with closing those facilities, it will get rid of one very bad system that frankly has proven itself to be unfixable. So the next question is, okay, what happens? And are these counties really ready to step up and provide the kinds of services that you know are necessary and needed? And the answer is probably no. The answer is the answer is I should say it's more of a mosaic because with 58 counties in the state of California, even though they operate under the same umbrella of laws, you've got 58 different systems. But what this will allow for now is resources and attention to be focused at the county level where most kids within the juvenile justice system are served. It's going to force everybody now to focus on the local systems. And that's what we need to be looking at because those are the systems that impact most of the kids that come into contact with the juvenile justice system. All right. That is Dan McAlaire, Executive Director of the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice. Dan, thanks so much. Thank you, Saul. And that is the California Report for Wednesday, June 30th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from SF MoMA, presenting the exclusive U.S. exhibition of Nam June Peck, a visionary global artist who bridged art, music, performance, and technology. Learn more at sfmoma.org. 
Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. And Blue Shield of California, rebuilding the future of health care with every Californian in mind, from quality and equitable care to not-for-profit values. Learn more at news.blueshieldca.com. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.